Lord, we love you. We thank you that you're in this place today. We thank you that you give us opportunity, Lord, just to come before your face and just worship you. We just lay our lives down tonight. We just lay any agenda down tonight. We lay any burden that we have down tonight, and we just throw that thing to the wind so that we can focus on you, Lord, so that we can learn something from this class, and, Lord, that we can grow as disciples so that we can become disciplers. That's our goal, Lord, to, to make you known in this earth. We thank you for the opportunity to grow tonight and to just expand our knowledge of you because when we expand our knowledge, we expand our wisdom, Lord, then we can step into a, a deeper place of love with you and a deeper place of understanding with you. And, Lord, our relationship will just get deeper and so full of you that we... That, that nothing else in this world matters. And that's why we're here tonight. One class, one service, one message at a time. Just digging into your word, diving into your word, and getting to know you more and more and more and more. Thank you, Lord, for being with us. Thank you for never giving up on us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, Amen. All right. So, it's good to see you guys tonight. Uh, some of our regular folks are over at Connect Church because they're having a youth group. It's something for the youth group, a worship night or something, preparing for them to go to camp. And so, they're having like a intense night of worship over there. So, Miriam and Alan and Keith and Hamp and uh, Jessica, a whole bunch of them are over there doing that tonight. So they're going to have to just listen to this podcast, right? It's going to be good. Um, I want to continue on from where we were last week. How many of you enjoyed uh, learning a little bit about Blood Covenant? Blood Covenant is, um, it's amazing. And uh, it's something we don't talk about a lot because who wants to talk about blood, right? But I'm wanting to talk about blood because the blood is... It's overlooked, it's, it's ignored because of what it is, you know, and it's so super important. It's the foundation of everything that we believe and everything that's been done for us is because of the blood. And so we talked about blood covenant last week and went through those steps with Super Nick over there and Jordan and, and uh, yeah, um, Sebastian and Baby Yoda, yes. Sebastian and Baby Yoda, and they walked out of Blood Covenant for us, and uh, that was super interesting, I know. And uh, thank you, Nick, for doing that. Um, I think Jordan took his uh, pieces of flesh home and hung them on his wall. So, um, yeah. But I, um, I just want to make sure we all have that good foundation and understand where all of you here last week. And have a good foundation of uh, what a blood covenant looks like and what it is. Because I want us just to dive in tonight and take just another step. So we're going to take this step by step by step. Instead of taking large leaps and bounds and just jumping over a bunch of stuff, I want us to like really dissect it so we know every single aspect of this. So we're, we're not um, just getting... Uh, a big generalized picture. I want us to really break it down, if that's okay with you guys. So if it feels like we're 
repeating some things. You know, some of the most important things I know is because somebody said it again, and I heard it again. And so um, so that's kind of where we are tonight, just the next little step into what is this thing a blood covenant and what does it mean. And so I'll just kind of repeat the question that I asked last week, which was, what did Abraham believe? And that's kind of where we started last week, and then it went into, you know, the whole blood covenant thing. And so I just want to read this verse again from Romans 4, uh, 20 through 24, just to give us um, some foundation. It says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced, remember, fully persuaded, that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. That's good stuff right there. And so with the question tonight, what did Abraham believe or, or really what made Abraham believe what he believed? In other words, like, we're going to talk a lot about Abraham tonight. And so we talked about, you know, the blood covenant and the steps of that and how it looked and Jonathan and David and all that. We're going to focus tonight on Abraham because the, the covenant, the old covenant, the Old Testament, was it began with God's relationship with Abraham, Right? And so if we read Abraham's story, we know that Abram was his name before, and he lived with his family. He, I think he was born, and he lived in the, in the town of Ur, Ur, U-R. And um, the people of Ur were like a, a pagan people. They sure didn't worship the one true living God. They actually worshiped the moon. They were moon worshipers. And they had these handmade, man-made idols, and they they reflected, you know, things about the moon. They worshipped the moon. They were moon people, and so that's where Abram Abram grew up. That's what he did. He probably had some idols himself in his home, and that's where God met him. So God can meet you anywhere, no matter what you're doing. He can meet you right there. He can pull you out from what you're doing and take you to a new a new place, a new level. So that's another story. But And so God pulled him out and said, um, I'm going to take you somewhere. I want you to go somewhere, and I, I'm going to show you later. Just go. And number one, what a, what a measure of confidence and faith that Abram had just to go. He packed up, and he didn't just pack a suitcase. He packed this whole, like, caravan of all of his stuff sheep and and cattle and and tents and whole family and servants and he packed all that up and said let's go where are we going oh I don't know God's going to show us and so he he told him to go and I'm going to show you where you're going and and when he arrived in the land of Canaan that's where God met him and said to him I'm going to make you a a a father of a nation and your seeds will be more than the sands of the seashore. 
your, your offspring. And he was like, wow. And so that's where the covenant began. And this idea to Abram of a covenant, like we talked about last week, it wasn't weird. It wasn't an, an unusual practice. Abram knew what the cutting of the covenant was. He'd seen that before. It was something that, that was common. Even if you remember years before that, centuries before that, God made a covenant with Noah. Remember the rainbow? That's, that's just like the cut. And that's, a, that's the everlasting symbol of testimony of God's covenant. And so Abram knew what a covenant was. And um, he was really familiar with that, but he had some questions. He knew what a covenant was, but he had some questions. And in Genesis 15:1, it says, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Don't be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and reward will be great. Your reward will be great. So you see those words, protect and reward. That's the beginning of the covenant. Just like um, Sebastian over there took his robe off and took his belt off and presented it to his covenant partner. That's what that is. I'm taking my robe or myself. God says, I'm taking myself. I'm giving it to you. I will protect you. I'm giving you me. And um, Abram, in his natural earthly mind, he's kind of questioning a little bit. He, he goes on through that, the rest of those verses. He said, how is it going to be possible that I'm going to be a father of a nation? How's that, how is that possible? I am an old man with no son. So he, he's like, how, how's this going to work? And, and so God begins to deal with him on a level that he can understand. He said, God says to him in verse 9, Genesis 15, verse 9, start there. It says, The Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And so Abram presented all of these to him and he killed them and he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side and he, but he didn't cut the birds in half. And so now Abram's getting the idea, oh, I know what a covenant is. Now I got you. I know what we're doing. We're cutting a covenant. Oh, God wants to cut a covenant with me. Now I'm getting it. He knows what the splitting of those clean animals, he knows what that means. And so he knows that he is entering in the most sacred, what we say, the most en enduring long-lasting, foreverlasting promise that there is. He knows that's what's happening. It's a promise that cannot be broken. All right? But watch this. In verse 11, in verse 11 it starts, he says, Some vultures swoop down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. And as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep. A terrifying darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, 
and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. And so the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I've given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. Okay? And so now, Abram knows that God will do what he says. There's no doubt. But there's still one problem. Abram's still got this one problem. He says, what can I possibly offer God Almighty? What help, what gift can I, what protection can I give God? Because that's supposed to be the exchange, right? How am I supposed to hold up my end of this agreement? Okay, and so look at verse 11 again. It says, you don't have to put that, Natalie, but it says that Abram, Abram, it says some vultures swoop down right there to eat the carcasses, and Abram chased them away. So right here, Abram, he's trying to help God out. That's what I can do. Shoo away these unclean fowl. The King James says fowls. Shoo them away. They've come to eat the clean sacrifice that was ordained by God. And so I can help God out. I can shoo them away. All right? And Matthew 13, 4 says, it tells us what these unclean fowls are. Matthew 13, 4 says, And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them. You remember the story of the sower? Some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them. And then Matthew 13, 19 tells us what the fowls are. It says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. All right, so Jesus is saying that the evil one, which is Satan, is like these vultures or these fowls that swoop in to devour. All right, and so Abram thinks that he's helping God out by shooing away these fowls. And so God has to step in. If you read this story, here's Abram shooing the fowls, and God says, look here, Abram, there is nothing that you can do to help. You, can't, you cannot help. If you try to put your righteousness right in the middle of this by, by using your hands to shoo these fowls or whatever you think you're doing, the whole thing's going to get messed up. That's what God is saying to him. And so he's saying, the only way this is going to work if I handle this whole thing myself. And to make sure that you don't help me out anymore, I'm going to put you to sleep. You're going to go night-night. <laughs> and and I'm going to put you to sleep, and I'll wake you up at the end of it when I've done it all. All right? And so then you see Abram go to sleep. He goes into this deep sleep. And it says a terrible darkness fell over him while he was sleeping. And that's when God told him 
a prophecy, all of the things that would happen during that 400 years of bondage and then that they would be set free with great wealth. He tells him this whole story. But then while at the end of this story he's still sleeping, he, Abram sa- says that he saw someone walking. Remember, Nick, how you walked that circle and met back in the middle with your covenant partner? Abram saw someone walking in his place. Someone walking where he should have been walking. He's making this covenant. And so he should have been the one walking, but he looks and he sees someone else walking in his place. Someone so brilliant that he can only describe it as a a smoking furnace and a flaming torch. He, he doesn't have any words to describe it. It's so brilliant in his natural brain, right? And remember what that means, someone walking that circle. It means I'm giving up my life. I'm walking a new walk with my covenant partner. I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in relation, in covenant with you. And that someone that he saw was God himself. He saw God walking, making covenant with himself. Abram saw this. And he actually saw two figures, a smoking pot and a flaming torch. Could one of those have been an image of Jesus and God making covenant right there together on his behalf? All right? And so, God is standing in for Abram because he's the only one worthy to make this covenant. Abram's not worthy. And God wakes Abram up at that point and he says, it's time to seal this covenant. Remember the cut on the hand and the scar? The testimony to the covenant? So God wakes Abram up and says, it's time to seal the covenant. And, you know, the covenant is that reminder. It's a guarantee. The scar that God required of Abraham was circumcision. I'm sure Abram had some questions about that. We're not going to, Nick, I'm sorry, we're not going to demonstrate that tonight. No, we're not. But that was the... That was the scar in the hand. That was the reminder that God said in your flesh will be this reminder of this covenant forevermore. And that was the way they they did that was through circumcision. And that would be the way that all of Abram's descendants would remember this covenant. All right? And then God changes Abram's name to Abraham. God, Yahweh, and there's some study about how you spell Yahweh and how you spell Abraham, and Abraham, Abram to Abraham, takes a portion of the name Yahweh and puts it to make it become Abraham. He takes on a portion of God's name. And then James 2.23 says this, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. 
He was a friend. He, he now was a friend of God, just like David and Jonathan were friends. So close that nothing could break that friendship. Now, Abraham is called a friend of God. All right? So, here's this covenant he's made. I've made this covenant that you will be the father of a nation, uncountable numbers. There's only one problem. Abraham and Sarah, the word says, are stricken with age. They are stricken with age. In other words, their stuff don't work no more. Their equipment's not working anymore. They are stricken. The Bible's nice about it. It says they are stricken with age. Okay? And so if they are really going to have a son who will be the start of this innumerable nation, it's going to have to be a supernatural thing. It's going to have to come by supernatural means because they are stricken with age. And all Abraham knows now is that I don't know how, but God's made a covenant with me. God has made a covenant, and he must fulfill his promises. Period. All right? And he does. We all know that somewhere during that time, their equipment worked at least once. Right? And some somehow, supernaturally, they were able to conceive. And Abraham and Isaac, Abraham and Sarah have Isaac, their son. God's keeping his part of the agreement. He's keeping his end of the agreement. All right, but remember, a covenant goes both ways, right? It's a total commitment. Lay down your life for your covenant partner. Give your very being to the other person. It's a dying to self and giving yourself to the other person, right? And God needs to know that Abraham's willing to keep his end of this agreement. Okay? God made this covenant with Abraham, but it comes with a test. Right? And so, his, his question, was Abraham all in? God wants to know. Did he really give me his whole heart? Were his motives pure when he entered into this covenant with me? And so... Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2, it says, it tells this. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called, and he said, yes, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, Abraham could have thought, and I'm thinking in my mind, he could have thought, God, are you nuts? I mean, after all of this, you said I was going to be a father of a nation, and don't you know how old I am? We've got to start over now? I can't, I can't start over again. All right, he could have said all that. He might have thought that. But Romans 4.20, remember, said that Abraham staggered not at the promises of God. Abraham staggered not. All right? And so 
Abraham rises early the next morning, and he begins this three-day journey with Isaac. That's important. It was a three-day journey. So they walk, walk for three days. They're headed toward the city of Salem, which would become Jerusalem at that time. And during this three-day walk, I'm sure Abraham is thinking, my son Isaac is as good as dead. He's a, he's a goner. He's as good as gone. And so on the third day, God points to Mount Moriah, where Isaac is, that he wants the sacrifice to be. And they stop at the base of this mountain, Mount Moriah. They stop there. And Abraham instructs his servants. He, he brought some servants. And he tells them, says, now you wait here. And we're going to go up there. And then we'll be back. And he tells them to stay behind. And so he takes the load of wood that he's brought for the burnt offering and he puts it on Isaac's shoulders for him to carry up this mountain. All right? And they begin this hike up the mountain. And if you follow Jewish teaching, Jewish teaching says that Isaac was about 33 years old. 33 years old at this time. The Jewish age of maturity is the age of 30. And so, and as a side note, Isaac was married when he was 40. And he had children when he was 60. So at 30, he was still a young man. At 33, he was still a young man. He'd only been into manhood for three years. So he'd, he'd, he'd become a man, and, and he'd just started his manhood, three years of manhood. And so Isaac is a little confused. And he, said, he wants to ask his daddy a question. Genesis 22, 7, 8, it says, But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, My father, Abraham, here I am, son. He said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And then Abraham says, This, this is so profound. Abraham says, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went on together. And we can see by that statement, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Abraham believed, big believed. He believed that God would provide a substitute or at the very least, Hebrews 11 says, at the very least, that God would raise Isaac back from the dead if he did have to kill him. He believed, right, he believed that God would make a substitute or at the very least raise Isaac from the dead. And so we all know what happened next. Abraham placed Isaac on this altar and just as he was about to follow through with his covenant promise, God stopped him. Verse 12 says, And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. 
And by the way, it was a terrible thing for a Hebrew man to die without a son. It was as if you were nothing. Your life meant nothing. And so Isaac was his only son. For him at his old age to be willing to take his son's life and die with no son was way bigger than we think. It was a terrible way for a Hebrew man to die. Sonless. All right? But God provided a substitute lamb or ram for this sacrifice. And Abraham offered up this ram as the offering, the thing that the sacrifice that God provided there on the mountain. And he called this mountain the Lord will provide. That was what Abraham named this mountain. And he said, on this mountain, it shall be provided, it shall be seen. Some translations say, he shall be seen. That's what Abraham proclaimed over that mountain. On this mountain, it shall be provided, and he shall be seen. And that Mount Moriah is where one day was Calvary. You seeing some connection there? And then, of course, they went back home. And seven years later, here comes Rebecca. And Rebecca and Isaac began to walk out these promises that were promised to Abraham in this covenant. All right? And so I'm going to ask you again, what did Abraham believe? We're getting down to it. Abraham believed in a supernatural birth of a son. All right? God fulfilled that for him through Isaac. Abraham believed God enough to offer his only son as a sacrifice. That's what he believed. He believed God. He believed in a supernatural birth. He believed God would provide a substitute or a sacrifice. He believed for those three days during that walk that Isaac was as good as dead. He believed that. And then he believed that God would either substitute something or raise his son from the dead. He believed that. And then he believed on that mountain that God would provide himself this substitute and that he would be seen on this mountain. He made that declaration up on that mountain. And because Abraham believed, God was able to trust him with this covenant. Now, God asked us to believe the same thing. The same thing. He asked us to believe that Jesus, the Son, has entered into a covenant with God the Father on our behalf. He asks us to believe that. We're separated from God. There's no way that we can shoo away the fowl. We can't do that. We can't, on our own, we can't do that. Nothing that we do merits our righteousness. No way that we can help God out in any way. And, in fact, the only way that we can come into this uh, covenant is to accept that smoking furnace or that burning torch that walked in our place. We have to accept that. 
We are asked to believe in a supernatural birth of a son, God in the flesh, born of a virgin, without sin, and circumcised on the eighth day to prove that he was still honoring that covenant, by the way. But Satan was there on that day and, and continued with Jesus those, his whole life. Satan, the fowl, was there trying to devour him in the form of King Herod at the beginning and then in the wilderness. You guys remember that story when Jesus was tempted? There was that fowl, but Jesus remained righteous. And then at the age of 33, after three years of ministry, isn't that interesting? That wood was placed on his shoulders And he began that walk up the mountain. And God offered his own son as an offering, as a sacrifice for all mankind, for everyone. And when we, in our sin, because we all sin, in our sin we look around like Isaac and we say, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? We can answer, God will provide himself the lamb, right? And where Isaac was not worthy, Isaac was a not worthy a sacrifice. He wasn't worthy. That's why God stopped and said, hold up, for this time, this lamb will serve as the substitute sacrifice because Isaac was not worthy. He, he needed a proper substitute, and that, that lamb... And we're going to get into all of that later about why a lamb and why the burnt offering and what all that means. But Isaac was not worthy. And God said, I need a substitute. He stopped him. I know you're keeping your covenant, but I need something that's more worthy. There's a lamb. And at that time, that was the lamb, the blood of that lamb covered their sin. We're going to talk about the difference between Covering sin and remission of sin or removal of sin. All right? But he said, I need a substitute. Jesus is a worthy substitute. There's nothing more worthy. Colossians 1.19 says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And then 2.9 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Jesus was God in human form. The only worthy substitute that we could ever have. And on that same mountain where Isaac was offered, God provided himself the substitute. Himself the substitute. And he was seen by the whole world. You see the similarities there? And so we're asked to believe that after three days in the tomb that that God resurrected Jesus and that Jesus was the firstborn of this new covenant that he was now establishing. So God established a new covenant with Jesus, a better covenant. And then after seven weeks, 
After the resurrection, seven weeks later, who comes along? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on the scene seven weeks after the resurrection to begin his work, to begin to fulfill these promises that have been made. And so when we believe just like Abraham believed, that righteousness that it talks about in Romans is counted to us. We are counted as righteous. So can you guys see it? You see in the similarities? With all the promises that God's made, because, you know, we sing songs like, I am who you say I am, and, and all God's promises are yes and amen. You know, we sing these songs, declaration songs. How can we make that claim? How can we make that kind of claim? It's because of the covenant, right? How can we say that I am who you say I am? That's a big thing to say. That's pretty arrogant, pretty outspoken of you to say I am what the Bible says I am. Oh, yeah, but how do you know? Where's your proof? Who says? What, what makes you so sure? The covenant. The covenant. And what about the scar? So what... If we're in a covenant, where's the scar? Where's the scar? Where's the circumcision that we're supposed to show as our testimony? All right? I'm going to show you. When you receive Jesus as your Lord, you enter into this covenant, and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell on the inside of you. We know that, right? It's not a circumcision of the flesh. It's the circumcision of the heart. Okay? Philippians 3, 3 says this. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Jesus Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. The fleshly circumcision is not necessary anymore. I want to read you another one. Romans 2. 28 and 29. It says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. All right? And so the Holy Spirit comes in greater than anything in this world. By the way, we still have circumcision. We still practice that cultural thing. But it does, that, that's not where the covenant promise lay anymore. The circumcision is in your heart because the Holy Spirit has come in and he's, he's cut you from your sinful nature. All right? He's your strength. He fights your battles. He cleanses you of your sins. I said cleanses you. 
And so we're going to talk some more about this. I'm getting side off side just a little bit. But look, in the Old Covenant, it was necessary to cover sin. In the New Covenant, our sins are remitted or removed or washed away. All right? It's like if I had a if I had a, an old couch. Lord, if you've got a couch that the dog lays on sometimes, it's probably stained up a little bit. If I brought that couch in here, it'd be dirty and have some dog hair on it. I've got one just like that. Okay? And I could take a brand new slip cover and put over that couch and it would look brand new. It would look clean and shiny and we'd, want, we'd all want to go sit on it. But is that dirt gone? It's still, it's still under there. It's just been covered. It's not visible anymore. And that's kind of what the, the sacrifice of the old covenant was like. It was necessary. God's looking and he sees your sins and it's, it's disgusting in his eyes. And once a year or whenever necessary, they would shed the blood of an, an animal that God had put this, this in place so that this would work. Shed that animal's blood and that blood would cover those sins so that God couldn't see them anymore. But it didn't last. It, it wasn't permanent. So they had to do it again. And then they had to do it again. But when Jesus' blood was shed, it was as if Jesus went, boom, and all of a sudden that old dirty couch is gone. It was a brand new one sitting there that couldn't get dirty, that wouldn't need a slip cover. It's, it's like that. In the old covenant, sins were covered. In the new covenant, sins are gone. All right? That's the difference. And so the Holy Spirit is what's on the inside of you that causes that circumcision of your heart, that testimony that you live in. Okay? Your life is a testimony. Your life is that scar. And we can experience all of the love and joy and peace and power and goodness, life abundant because of that, right? And that covenant is for everyone, everyone. Let's remember how David's covenant promise belonged to Jonathan, but then it also belonged to Mephibosheth just by default, right? just because he was an heir. I want to read this verse. Galatians 3, 28 and 29, it says it the best. It says, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. That is so good. Are you putting the old and the new together? This is because of Jesus, 
We are the true children of Abraham, and everything that was promised to Abraham is ours, is mine, is yours. Every promise, every good and perfect thing that was promised to Abraham is mine and yours. Not because anything we do, because God made a covenant and he cannot break it. All right? And I don't have this verse, but you guys know it. It says, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Substance in that verse, faith is the substance. The word substance means foundation. It means the title deed. When you hold the title deed to something, it's yours. Faith is a substance. So how is faith possible? Uh, this is bigger than just a story that I'm telling you. How is faith even possible? How is it possible that we can even have faith? It's because of the covenant. It's because of God's promise that cannot be broken. Therefore, we have faith. Believing in promises, having faith in promises, because is, it's because of the covenant. Can y'all put it together? Abraham couldn't see that substitute lamb, but he went marching on up there anyway because he had faith. Why did he have faith? Because he was entering into a covenant. He knew God would keep his word. So when we wonder, well, I don't know if healing is for me. I don't know if I'm supposed to be healed. I don't, I don't know if that's true for me. Why? Where's your faith? Because faith says, I believe God's covenant. God made a covenant with us through Jesus. I don't know how to explain it any better. Are y'all getting it? I want to um, throw a little thing up there that I'm just kind of put together the comparisons. Natalie, can you put that little, there it is. It's kind of little, but comparing the things that happened with Abraham versus the things that we as Christians experience. Abraham entered into a covenant with God. We enter into a better covenant with God. Why is it better? Name one thing that makes this new covenant better than the old. Exactly. Our sins are removed. That's what makes this covenant better. We're not just covering our sins. Our sins are gone. Okay? There was, on Abraham's side, there was nothing that he could do or offer to God in return. There's nothing we can offer God in return. There was nothing that Abraham could do to help God out with the fowl or the enemy. There's nothing that we can do to remove our own sin. He understood, Abraham did, that someone walked in his place in the covenant. And we have to believe that Jesus walked in our place in this new covenant. Abraham received circumcision of the flesh for his 
everlasting testimony, we receive circumcision of the heart as our testimony. Abraham witnessed a supernatural birth, and we believe in a supernatural birth, right? Abraham died to self, to his self. His self said, oh, don't kill my son. I'm old. I can't start over. But he died to his, his, himself, and he had faith in God, and we have to die to ourselves and put our faith in God, right? For three days on that journey, he considered Isaac as good as dead, and we believe that Jesus was dead for those three days in the grave. What was he doing, by the way, defeating death? Yes, and we talked about that one time before, what Jesus was doing during that time. Okay, he was entering into hell, defeating Satan, taking that key, going back up. What happened? Going back up into the heavens and presenting that in front of the throne, right? All right. Isaac was 33 years old, just three years into his manhood. Jesus was 33. We know he had been in ministry for three years, walking the earth in his ministry. Isaac submitted to the will of his father, and Jesus submitted to the will of his father. Now, you know, Isaac could have run away when he got there and he said, Father, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? He could have hit the trail, run away. Did you know Jesus could have run away? He could have called legions of angels down to rescue him, but he submitted to the will of his father. All right? Abraham trusted that God would provide a substitute or raise Isaac from the dead. God provided Jesus as our substitute and raised him from the dead. He did both things that Abraham... Abraham said, well, he'll either do one or the other. Jesus did both of those. He was the substitute and he was raised from the dead. Isaac was not worthy, but God provided a worthy sacrifice. We're not worthy, but Jesus is our worthy substitute. And then seven years later, God sent Rebekah and began walking out the plan of those promises. Seven weeks after his resurrection, God sent the Holy Spirit to guide us into the promises. Mm -hmm. Do you see the comparisons? See how important the whole story of Abraham is? Do you see anything you haven't seen before? This whole idea of the covenant is so much more important than we've given it merit, we've given thought to. Without the covenant, I mean, without the covenant, what do we have to base our faith on? Right? Nothing. Without the covenant, we don't have 